Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. The writer Yadira Peralta's poetry takes us places. To the island of Roatan in her native Honduras, where she writes, Everything is the color of sea salt. To Carol City, where she first wrote poetry as a child. And to Shenandoah, where she finds stray cats everywhere looking for light. She knows the power of poetry to take us new places and to stand up for the places that are important to us. That's why she's the current winner of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Award. It's an honor given to poets who are natural preservationists, advocates for South Florida's ecosystems. By writing about her home, Yadira is protecting it. Yadira tried leaving Miami for college, but she couldn't quit us. She learned in New York City that the stories she wanted to tell were in South Florida. She got her MFA at Florida International University. And she also helped budding writers find their voices. She's worked with elementary school students. She's worked with adults taking creative writing classes at night. She wants to show others where poetry can take them. To talk to us about finding her voice in Miami is Yadira Peralta. Welcome, Yadira. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be able to come in and talk about this, you know, this very specific kind of like way of looking at poetry, right, as uh as a tool for preservation. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. You know, there's lots of ways of thinking about preservation, right? Uh, there's, you know, preserving the environment, but there's also preserving culture. And uh, so I guess, tell me about it. Tell me about how you interpreted that idea of, of, preserve, of preservation. It's funny, that's not what I intended to do hmm. necessarily, even though that is something that matters to me. It's like a consequence of the things that you are writing about. Yeah. I. I think just being a transplant from Honduras, and now granted, I, I didn't come here as an adult. I came here as a child, mm -hmm. but I had such a large and warm family over there that coming to South Florida was, and to the U.S., mm -hmm. was a bit of a trauma for me initially. Uh, oh. Maybe that's overstating it a little bit. It wasn't like I was forced to come because of any political situation or anything like that. It's just a decision my parents made, but... Uh, to come from such a large family to uh, come to 1980s Miami, Carroll City, where there weren't any other Hondurans and we didn't have family, uh, you know, it, it left a mark on me and I didn't feel like I belonged for a long time. So it, it's always been the search for me in terms of figuring out, like, what do my surroundings mean and how do they say something about me or how do I fit into those surroundings? So initially, I, I always kind of, you know, noticed, for example, the um, one of the things that I think any person that comes to Florida for the first time notices, obviously, is just the greenery. Hmm. Um, even if you're in the suburbs, uh, you know, again, 1980s Miami, uh, living in a, in a house with no AC and lizards coming in and out and that kind of thing. And just um, uh, that's that's like a thing that I noticed. And I, I just I. That's what I wrote about. Right. Um, yeah. As you as you kind of capture these little bits of reality that end up being stitching together the culture that you grew up in. Yeah. Right? And I mean, like your poetry is is full of that, right? Is is kind of capturing these moments of Miami and moments of South Florida, things that speak directly to us. Um, and I understand that you wrote a poem about coffee, and I'm <laughs> like, South Florida loves its its coffee, its cafecito. And uh, just to give folks a, you know, a little sip, a little flavor, would you, would you read us a little bit of your coffee poem? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, because, like, I mean, as we talked about, that's such, a, that's such a part of our, that's another way to kind of look at 
preserving culture, right? He's talking about all these little things. So whenever you're ready. Coffee. The coffee bush that sprouts from Honduran soil thrives in the shade. It is a heavy gift. Life of mornings accumulated, the smell of freshly tilled soil. Her vagrant berries are picked by children and spilled like marbles over the highlands or else smuggled over the border and sold to us as Guatemalan. I once saw a river the color of coffee with cream. Those, daily, those waters daily carry the sediment of far-off soils through the shifting foreign tongues of the forest, and from there, the moonscape of the ocean. My kitchen is a moonscape, and sometimes the spaceship from my old home lands. The things I smell and hear are not memories, but recognitions. Some things are meant to travel far from home and never return. Wow, that was uh, Yadira Peralta reading her poem titled Coffee, uh, which is, speaks so much to South Florida's like obsession, right, cafecito, but also so much to your to your hometown. There's so much visual and and sense and sights that that you recall. Did you, did, did that represent what you remember of Honduras, or have you spent a lot of time going back and forth? Uh, part. Part of it does represent what I remember of Honduras, mm -hmm. but then there's a little bit of um, research thrown in there, which is a, a thing that I do, do with some of my poems because I'm interested in where things come from and in history. And really what sparked this poem was, uh, you know, one, I had a cup of coffee in front of me and I, so I wanted to figure out how do I write about coffee in, 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 in an interesting way. But then I wondered, and now this was, I wrote this poem at least 10 years ago, why at this time why do we hear about uh you know jamaican coffee guatemalan coffee and not honduran coffee mm. and that's when i found out that honduran coffee was sometimes sold as guatemalan because you know i guess it was more marketable at that time oh that's so funny yeah yeah and i mean i think it um when you write about place it's so important it really builds an image in people's minds and and it leads me to, to this, this, you know, this award that you were uh, given, and it's so much about writing about preservation of culture. So talk to me about stories of climate and place because they're so important in South Florida right now. Talk to me about your your interest in writing about that kind of South Florida's singular ecosystem. You know. So a lot of that, you know, was sparked by, you know, when I was in college, I started going to the Everglades. Um, you know, uh, first for an art class, mm -hmm. then I started doing photography. And then my brother and his daughter became really interested. And like they go, uh, up, you know, 20 times a year, they go camp and everything. And and I just, once I went in, I just thought this is so close to what we call home. And it's like another world. And then I began to understand that this, you know, what we see on a daily basis, urban South Florida, mm -hmm. that this was once that. Right. And that's when I began to learn just about how, you know, the the, um, the boundaries and how they've kind of been moved back over and over. And just again, as I learned these things, I wrote about them and they began to change the way that I looked at my environment, you know, regardless of where I was, whether I'm out in the Everglades itself um, or if, you know, I'm in Miami Lakes where, where my mom lives, for example, um, which, you know, is... She lives in a place that didn't exist when, when we first moved here, for example. Right. 
and and it's true that you can live in South Florida for most of your life or all of your life and and really not even be aware of the Everglades. I mean, folks cannot go out there, you know. But going there, it seemed like it really it really opened up something for you. It did. Um, it, it just I just found it to be so beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, I and so different than urban Miami, right? Yeah, to me, it's like it was like discovering that the Grand Canyon was in our backyard, for example, <laughs> right. like that. Just something that that uh, monumentally beautiful. Right. Yeah. Something that's significant and that vast. It, it, it reminds me of seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time and you kind of, you know, it's obscured by trees and you come up among it. And then all of a sudden you're in this, you know, you're in this alien landscape. And I guess the Everglades can feel like that, too. Uh, even though you kind of see the buildings start to lower as you get closer to the to rural areas, but then being out there on the water really, uh, it can really change your perspective of, of where you're at. Absolutely, and especially if you've been lucky enough to actually, um, you know, go out. I've uh, I've been on an airboat ride where um, the per the driver or the conductor mm-hmm. actually stopped in the middle and just turned off the engine and just had us sit quietly and and listen um that was really really impactful yeah i would imagine did that did that inspire you to think about other things other see or just kind of see south florida in a different way i would imagine yeah i, I also wondered you know whatever i'm a poet i have a very <laughs> naturally vivid, dramatic <laughs> vivid imagination so i always think like you know what was this place like um not just before uh before you know non-native uh, peoples arrived, mm-hmm. but actually you know what 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 was it like to be uh, a European and arrive in this really wild landscape? Right. I mean, obviously some some of <laughs> some of that reaction spurred the need to want to control it, the need to want to tame it. Mm-hmm. But still, I do imagine what what that would have been like. I just imagine what it would be like for me to just be in the middle of that. In in all the, because I know that you you also have been involved with teaching over the years from, you know, from grade school kids all the way to, to a night, you know, adults uh, in creative writing classes. And I'm curious about whether that's important to you is trying to get folks to think about, to slow down and think about South Florida as a place and the Everglades being tied to that part of South Florida, you know, getting folks to, to slow down and see see the world like a poet, so to speak. I think I think slowing down is definitely slowing down and looking, especially especially we live in a time where we uh, we're allowed to fill in all the empty spaces, all the blanks that we used to have to be able to get bored, <laughs> right. to imagine things. Um, now it's the second that you have a moment. There's a there's a smartphone. Um, to, to fill in that space. And so that just kind of changes the way that you witness and, and or not witness the world or process the world. So whether I'm teaching poetry, whether I'm teaching essay writing, uh, getting people to stop and look is incredibly important. Getting people to stop and listen to their own voice is incredibly important. Yeah, there's there's so much to be said for those quiet moments. I think the, uh, the director, Christopher Nolan, was, was talking on Fresh Air last week hmm. about not having a smartphone just to preserve those moments of being bored or being quiet or spending some time in that, that five minutes before a meeting focusing on on th- that person that you're going to talk to. And and I'm I'm wondering how do you stay away from that? How do you uh, how do you create that space for yourself? How do you do you stay try to stay away from a smartphone? 
It's tricky because mm-hmm. I... <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I... Um, so one of my hobbies is photography and having a smartphone that has a wonderful camera is is an amazing thing. Um, I also am a, have gotten a little addicted to social media at times, I will admit. <laughs> but, you know, I do, um, I do now have a time of, you know, after work, once I get home, I put my phone on sleep. I think only my mom can get through in case there's some kind of emergency. Right. And that's it. It's off. Um, and I'm trying to kind of build those spaces during the weekend, which is when I get most of my writing done. Just because I think it's just, I the, the coffee poem, for example, mm-hmm. I literally was just daydreaming. And that's where that poem came from. And if I don't allow myself those spaces, then I, I don't really know what would happen to my work. Our guest today is Yadira Peralta. She's a poet and educator in Miami, and she's the current recipient of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Award. She's been telling me how writing about Miami is a way of protecting it. I want to ask you about your, you know, you talked so much about that first impression landing in Miami as an immigrant kid and how that can be traumatic without without being dramatic, but it can be, you know, really moving, even moving a kid from one school to another can be uh, traumatic. And I'm, and I know that you landed without without English, right? So you're six years old, and you're going to school in Carroll City in this new environment. And I'm curious how, when poetry came into your life early on, that helped, kind of helped you feel more like this place could be home. So I would say right away, once I started school, I um, it was a weird experience, especially because I was incredibly shy, like... Mm. Just, I really was that kid that just would like to sit in the corner and just daydream all day. And to be in in a brand new environment um, and not understand what any what anyone was saying, mm-hmm. uh, not understanding the American school system. <laughs> right. Um, it, it was a bit weird. And the one oasis was Spanish class. So we were, you know, pulled out, of, out for Spanish class, I think about twice a week. And... The teacher, for some reason, I, th- um, if I remember correctly, I was done early with my work one day, mm-hmm. and she noticed that and just sat down with me and showed me how to write a haiku about some flowers that she had in the classroom. And, and you, were you writing in English or in Spanish at the Spanish. time? Spanish. In Spanish. So she kind of approached you like, all right, she kind of met you where you were and teaching you in that way. So that, that must have been huge for you. It was. I mean, especially because I like to do it. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I love to read in Spanish before we came here. And um, but I didn't know that I had an affinity for language. Mm. That was not a thing that I knew about myself. So she just kept doing it for the rest of the school year and then entered some of my poems into the Dade County, what was called the Dade County Youth Fair at oh, that time. I, I remember that well. I remember that well. Like, uh, you know, f- for me, it was like I love doing little model buildings and there's nothing like, oh, you send this thing away and maybe a, a ribbon comes back later, you know? And that must have been a real, um, like really furthered your interest in that, right? Is is having some someone take an interest in you early on and then kind of seeing like uh, early rewards for it, right? Yeah, uh, so a, a ribbon did come back for me. Uh, it was it was second place, but I didn't care. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I just thought, wow, this is a big deal. And every year of elementary school, 
my work was entered into the Dade County Youth Fair. Every year was <laughs> it was second place. <laughs> uh, all I like to say is that potentially it's just because uh, you know my work was a little weird, probably. Um, but you what, know, what, weird in what way? <laughs> what kind of things were you writing about? You know, that? I don't even remember. I know I had an interest in um, in like classic horror movies at one point. Um, so I, I was obsessive and wanted to write about that. So really, you know, Frankenstein and uh, and the Wolfman and stuff like that. So, um, so I just you know I just kept uh, doing it. I love to I love to write out my poem neatly. It would get laminated, it would get sent in, and then I would get back a ribbon, and it just kept me going every year. I know that you've been involved in in like I said, teaching kids from from even from a young age. Um, so there must have been that must have been that period must have been so important to you that it seems like you wanted to give back in that way too absolutely you know uh i've had the opportunity to teach uh you know grade school kids through the sunroom program mm-hmm. um but actually something that uh that also that i got to do be- before i um went into my current career is i also taught in the prison system um briefly and I know that not everyone that I come into contact with is going to be a poet for life the way that I happen to be, but just to allow someone the opportunity to either tell their experience or to write about whatever it is that's inside of them is, uh, or to have someone say, I didn't know that I could write poetry, Hmm. Uh, which is something I hear a lot. I hear people say, I didn't know that I could do this well. That is just um, amazing. Something about teaching in the prison system must have really uh, opened your eyes in what ways. What what kind of things did you see, like instances that really you saw poetry unlock something in a person who was in prison? You know, to just, I think there is where I saw just that, that need to want to voice mm-hmm. something. Um, and, and I... And and by the way, for me, uh, I think I got something out of it just as much as uh, some of the students there might have. Um, I, you know, my sister uh, in the past worked, she's in law enforcement and mm-hmm. in the past she worked in the prison system. And thankfully she's, uh, she's not one of, some people will tell you, oh, be careful, don't do that. Or why would you want to go in there? And she immediately said to me, um, oh, they need someone like you. Oh wow! Your your sister recognized that. Yeah. And what was it specifically that she thought that you could provide that you could help unlock, so to speak? I think it's just that um, that opportunity to be able to communicate something, to be able to communicate something authentically. Right. And what did it do for you? Because it seemed like you're saying that this this experience really had a a profound effect on you. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I think a part of it was, and I wouldn't have admitted it about myself at the time, but I went in with my own prejudices mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, why someone would end up in that situation. And I met all kinds of women uh, from different backgrounds and, um, you know, including someone that could just as well be your next door neighbor. And you wouldn't realize that they would end up in, in you know, in that experience Mm. and so it really opened it opened my eyes and somehow i was able to uh to win their trust in a way so that you know before my last class they really talked to me about what uh what it was like for them in a lot of ways it's going it's like going to the everglades for the first time right it it really you had your eyes open to a, a huge part of 
I mean, uh, uh, that is a fact in American life, you know, that the, we have so many people incarcerated. Uh, you really had an, another experience. You really had an experience there. I did. I feel, I, I feel privileged. I feel privileged to have that opportunity because mm-hmm. not, not many people can have that kind of um, contact or access and then have their eyes opened. So I feel very lucky to have been able to do that. And I will say I did that with a really great organization in South Florida uh, called Exchange for Change. Just like uh, something like that, you have such a strong connection to South Florida and you're really kind of plumbing those depths of the people who live here, even are incarcerated here. But there was a time where you wanted to leave Miami, right? Like right after high school? Tell me about that. Um, And why? (laughs) Why would you want to leave this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... I did have some remnants of that that uh, feeling like an outsider. Um, I think more than anything is because I grew up in a South Florida uh, that was pre um, Hurricane Mitch, hmm. so there weren't that many Hondurans, for, and that kind of mattered to me for some reason. That just mattered to me that I just didn't find. I had friends, obviously, and I had you know I had my own community, but I felt like I always felt like an outsider. Right, you were still looking for your tribe. It's yeah, yeah, and and also while I knew that there were artists in South Florida, I guess I had this romantic notion of um, going to a place like New York where that's really where where stuff happens. And I loved New York. It was super exciting. But, you know, I was not inspired to write in New York in the same way that I've been in South Florida. I cannot explain it to you, but I could spend... If I, if I were immortal, and I'm not, but if I were immortal, I could never run out of things to write about in terms of South Florida. Is that something you only realized when you came back? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I came back for grad school. I, um, you know, I, I brought my, my ex-boyfriend who, uh, you know, uh, from Massachusetts, never been to South, South Florida. And then just to experience it through his eyes as well, just culturally, uh, you know, the, uh, how he processed the slang, <laughs> you know, or the way that spe- people spoke to each other, mm-hmm. the La Ventanita, all this stuff to see his eyes just sort of open up and, and experience this. I realized this really is a special place that is like no other. Uh, you you really started to see Miami with a fresh point of view. What I, I know that you can't really express what it was about New York, but uh, where you couldn't write there. But tell me about what that period was like for someone who really expresses themselves through writing so much to be in a place in a time you know where you couldn't really find the words I mean I did some writing mm-hmm. but it was mostly like you know I thought I'm just gonna practice describing people on the subway and okay. I did that I called that sketching so All sketching right. with words so oh, I did nice. that mm-hmm. like photo- like kind of street photography so to speak but with poetry yeah absolutely uh, but I I just I I wasn't compelled. <laughs> it wasn't an emotional connection. It was, there wasn't, I didn't feel like, ah, you know, I'm in, even though Queens is a great place, you know, uh, Jackson Heights or um, or Greenpoint, you know, I'm, I'm naming different places that I lived in New York. I didn't feel the need to know, like, it's history. I didn't feel the need to know, like, why does this street look this way versus mm-hmm. another way? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that, you know, it just just even walking down my, I live in Little Haiti, and just walking down my neighborhood, I'll say, hmm, that house, that house is really interesting. It's built with coral rock. Let, let me learn. <laughs> let me go to the history museum and see if I can learn a little bit more about that. 
What was there a moment when you were living there, and then I don't know if it, was it a visit back to Miami? What was it that came back and for the first time made you realize, oh, I need to be in this place and not in that place? I felt it, it probably was just a sense of home, homesickness that initially drew mm-hmm. me back. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you miss most? What things did you miss? Yeah, I miss coffee. Uh huh. I can tell uh, you wrote a whole poem about it. <laughs> I missed. Uh, I miss Cuban food. Uh, which, you know, even even though I'm not Cuban, that's just something I grew up with. Uh, and I missed uh, I missed the ocean. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. grew up down here with the ocean, just knowing that you're close to it is enough sometimes. Absolutely. A warm ocean, not an, not an icy one. Yeah, not an icy <laughs> one. So, um, you know, everything. <laughs> Our guest today is the poet Yadira Peralta. She's a poet, essayist, and the current recipient of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Poetry Award. So you, you had this grand realization that Miami is this place that you're really connected to and you're curious about it. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what being those moments being back where you find yourself being creative again in a way that, that you weren't, where you maybe you're working on the technical in New York, but here you start you start working more about the, the emotion starts getting into your work. You know, one example is my, so my first home upon coming back uh, was Little Havana. And um, I don't know. I wanted to know everything about you went that very Miami. <laughs> you came back and you wanted to be in the in the. There was you know because you have so much motion and so much yeah. uh, so much population density in that part of town too. What what made you pick that of all places? Uh, well, I happened to be uh, I happened to be teaching at Riverside Elementary, mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to live near near there near where the, your kids went to school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so two blocks from Calle Ocho. Why was that important for you to be to be near the students and near the school? Where you, I mean, obviously, you don't have to commute. But was there something else about being able to connect with the kids you were teaching? I, I, think, I think that, you know, <laughs> a big part of it was the commute. Uh, <laughs> but, but also, uh, actually, and I'm just making that realization right now, is, you know, when I... So I wasn't a classroom teacher. I was a resource teacher. Uh, in writing and reading. So I would work with the kids who were below grade level in the third and fourth grade. And a lot of my kids were Central American. A lot of my kids were Honduran. And I just thought, oh, this is this is what I would have, you know, this is what I wanted when I was their age. I wanted to be surrounded by, you know, my accent and, and my Spanish and all of that. So I, I just, I wanted to get to know the neighborhood and how it had changed since yeah. since I'd left. Yeah, because Spanish was such an oasis for you when you came here. Um and it seems like you you were providing that for them too is 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 giving them the that giving them language and giving them a a comfortable place to be. Yes, absolutely. So, did you start introducing poetry right away to them? Was that something that was was important for you to do? Well, so I was trying to help them pass the the essay writing, but mm-hmm. I did introduce elements of poetry like um you know, figurative language and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And another another thing that was really important was I, I know how stressful it is to be a kid and be told, you know, you need to pass this essay test. And it just becomes like an essay is made up of parts and you're just checking off the checklist. But I was kind of trying to get them to really connect in an authentic way with not just their voice and their experience, but the actual like act of writing that it Yes, it's this 
thing that you're being tested on, but it's also like a really valid way for you to be able to um, to see the world and tell your story. Mm. Um, I, I've heard you mention that um, that you approach teaching like a poet, right? So talk to me about more what that means. Is it more of that that thing looking at less as a technical aspect, but more of a like opening up this person, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the technical aspect is important, but I try to kind of back away from that a little bit and say, you know, what what is your experience? What So I, I ask questions. Um, I ask questions that maybe they've asked themselves before uh, or maybe not, you mm. know, uh, and whatever it is that they feel comfortable sharing. It doesn't have to necessarily be something really personal. It could just be about their day-to-day experience. And so I, I, you know, it's about getting them to, again, slow down, collect those details and figure out how those details can be, you know, made into something that is, are, you know, that I don't want to say articulate, but is, is, can be read by other people, can be listened to by mm-hmm. other people. I'm, I'm curious because so much of it, uh, you're asking them to look at their lives early on. You're asking mm-hmm. them to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I'm trying to think of, you know, a lot of immigrant kids, sometimes their immigrant families come and they start, there's, there's almost no time to think about those things. Parents are very busy and Mm. what have you. And sometimes it gives a kid a chance to just be, kind of find that in themselves. And I'm wondering, what was your experience like, you know, when your, when your folks came, do you see that, did you see that reflected in some of the students you were teaching? Yeah, I know for me, uh, for my dad especially since he had spent some time in the u.s he was even though he was honduran born he was an american citizen uh you know when i was born uh had had spent a lot of the 1960s in the u.s and when he decided when my mom decided that we were going to live here permanently it was really really important for him that we learn english right away it was really important for him that we not have accents and that we just become american and the one thing that I think kept me me <laughs> is that again I was a very shy kid I liked to kind of retreat into my bedroom with my books or to sit under a tree with my books and so I just kept that I always and they allowed that you know they did allow that and that gave me a space right. to be able to kind of explore um, explore myself and explore my place in the world Tell me about that, about your parents' uh, connection to to the U.S. What, what what brought your dad here in the back in the '60s? So my dad uh, is, uh, as you mentioned early in the introduction, he's from Roatan, uh, which is in the Caribbean part of Honduras, and he, uh, like a lot of men uh, that he grew up with, became a merchant marine. You mm. either become some kind of sailor work on a boat or become a merchant marine your life is in the sea yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and he ended up you know he spent a lot of time in miami new orleans and new york and eventually after his brother moved uh, to the u.s he moved to brooklyn new york and he spent a majority of the 60s there and then volunteered for the vietnam war which i still don't understand but he's very patriotic uh and um and so he you know he fought in the vietnam war and after he came back, he decided to go back to um, to Honduras, and that's where he met my mom. Mm. And eventually, I think he always felt the pull to come back here. How much do you think that experience, like your dad being so, um, you know, leaving a place and becoming so patriotic that he would that he would enlist uh, in serving for another country? How much do you think that that 
that colored your growing up, you know, in uh, in different ways. The fact that uh, your dad was so connected to this other country. You know, in a way, um, even though it was abrupt for for me, mm-hmm. uh, for my siblings to to come here. You're one of how many? I, I'm I'm one of six. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and I have my my uh, my older brothers were in their teens, so that was even you know weirder for them. I'm sure. There's a whole range of experiences there. Yeah. In, in that age, yeah. And uh, so I had heard English, in you know in in the house mm-hmm. earlier. My dad loved pop music. Uh, he loved Motown music. So. So what did you grow up hearing? What was always on the. Uh, playing on the record player uh gladys nine and the pips the platters the beatles um elton john so and that actually um i've i've loved music all my life because of that so it, it you know it was it, it was it was weird to come here but it's not like everything was brand new right. i i was almost becoming acclimated uh earlier right how much did music gr- become part of your your life growing up? Because there's so much poetry. Like, I always look at a piece of poetry and I think I feel like, oh, this could be these could be song lyrics, you know. And how much was music a part of your your growing up? I actually thought that was an alternate uh, place that I could have gone to. Hmm. You know, I uh, I played guitar, I played piano. So did my sister. Uh, we loved. There was always music in the house, and. Um, this was important to your parents. Did they play an instrument, or was it important for them to, to kind of um, encourage this artistic interest in you guys? They did not play instruments, but my mother, you know, my mother was more of a classical music fan and always played it. So, you know, as soon as she realized that we had the interest, she played. Uh, she paid for piano lessons, and while I stopped playing music in college, I do when I, you know, when I write. It's very important to me that when I'm choosing words, that I'm not only choosing words for their image, but also for their sound. Hmm. So, I mean, you're at this point in your career where you are you're creating poetry, um, but you're also teaching. You're also working for Mango Publishing, right? Which is, which is really f- help in very much a similar ways, helping others find their voices in their writing and and getting them published too. What what has that been like for you to to kind of still be in this role, but kind of in a different way? You know, I, I've had, uh, I've experienced a, a gamut of things at Mango Publishing. So I've, I've been an editor who, uh, who looks for uh, writers who are looking to publish. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've done that. I've also helped the other editors get um, the manuscripts in shape, uh, in a sense. So I've coached their authors for them. Mm. And now I've actually been moving into a new role, which is uh, what's called a head of people. Uh, which means that (laughs) that's such a that's a perfect creative title yeah and uh you know it is there are some hr functions Mm -hmm. but it's also you know uh checking in with everyone making sure that they're um that they're they have the training they need Mm -hmm. uh making sure that they're taking vacation (laughs) so taking care of themselves and making sure that we're taking care of each other so you know um I know there's that, that uh, which was weird for me when I first heard it, that companies have culture. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we do have a culture. Uh, you know, there's a vibe everywhere that you go. And definitely the vibe there is one of openness and making sure that, that there is that openness in terms of, um, you know, regardless of whether you're in management or not, making sure that you know what's going, you understand what's going on and have a say. Right. 
so you have this kind of like this nine to five where it's you know very very uh, you know st- structured kind of job. But so tell me how that opens up your your time and your ability and your interest to to continue to create on your own, you know, and create your own poetry. You know, it was it was a bit tough initially mm-hmm. because uh, you know right before I started at Mango, I was teaching at Miami Dade and at Broward. I had a schedule that kind of changed from semester to semester and sometimes I worked you know three days out of the week for example I packed all my classes into the three days and I had plenty of time to write and so I thought how am I going to do this and I'm I'm a poet I'm not that structured <laughs> as a person <laughs> and uh and I figured it out because I wanted to so you know uh you know I I wake up in the morning sometimes and do the writing then or I carve out a few days out of the week and also the weekend. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time on Saturday writing. Yeah. Yeah. What what kind of things are inspiring to you now? Do you find yourself being pulled into? And uh, I mean, are there are there grooves that you keep uh, finding that you you return to? So a, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I did some collaborative work with a poet from uh, Colombia a couple of years ago. And one of the things that she said was, you know, some, I think your poems need more people in them. <laughs> and so she pointed that out and I said, hmm, okay, I'm going to try that. That's a challenge. That's interesting yeah. to, to get a, a different, a poet's, a different poet's, um, you know, their, their view of the world and, and kind of looking at your poetry with a different, with a different set of eyes. Yeah, and so that and that that's when I made a concerted effort to, um, you know, a lot of my poems time travel; they go back in time. But to begin to write more about contemporary Miami, so that's one thing. The other one, uh, which is a little sad, but I, you know, I've I've talked a bit about my father today, and he passed in March. I'm sorry. And um, and so that figure figuring that out, his uh, you know, what his life. Uh, means what it meant to me and and my siblings and just also how to you know how to navigate this new I think um, I've mentioned it to someone it's almost like being in a new country uh, you know to be in the land a land without a parent Mm -hmm. or a land of grief and so that that's also been interesting to me is to figure out a way to write about that right I imagine poetry is how how have you used, how have you used that tool to write through that grief? Um, I think it's again figuring out how am I looking at the world now? Hmm. <laughs> you know, which is how has it different. changed now that my father's not in it? Because I'm different now. Hmm. Yeah, so it's almost like any transformation that you can imagine going through in life changes who you are and how you see the world. I think of. Um, for example, the first time that someone falls in love, that's, wow, that, that changes you. And <laughs> the, it's universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the first time you see a, a beautiful place. I mentioned the Everglades earlier today in that first time. So so just seeing it in that, trying to see it in that way, yes, it's a, there's emotion there, um, but also there's something kind of objective about it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, in the sense that it's, it's something universal that, you know, everyone eventually, if you live long enough, you lose a parent, whether it's very early on or later on um have you have you spent some time writing about that have you produced any poetry from that yeah yeah i have um nothing nothing yet to publish but it's funny that 
I wrote a fair bit about my dad and where my dad was from because mm-hmm. that's the in terms of origins that's the place that I'm most connected to and um and he noticed that uh <laughs> even though he was very skeptical about my being a poet and my doing that uh, as a lifelong pursuit he know he began to notice that in what ways how did he bring that up did you he could just see it in your writing uh there's so there's one uh the poem Ratan once mm-hmm. once that was published and I I didn't give my parents the book because you know uh, it, it's an anthology um I thought they're not going to read it but you know I gave it to my sister and she showed my dad and that was like wait a minute <laughs> your work is in a another book what's yeah, of yeah. <laughs> course they read it they're your parents <laughs> so parents. it's uh it's kind of like I think it was really interesting for him to see the way that I saw the place. Oh, interesting. The place that, that he had talked about yeah. all these years and kind of what you had what you had gathered from from hearing those anec- those anecdotes, those stories. Yeah, and just realizing that like I had really absorbed a lot and had carried it with me. Right. A lot. Yeah. Is there is there any poetry that you have brought today that that you would like to read that that kind of speaks to that theme or it kind of tells you tells tells us a little bit about where you are right now with your poetry? Um, well, I I have that poem brought done. Uh, I w- we would love to hear yeah. it. Great. Ratan. Seaside houses sitting on stilts and the kerosene lamps at night carried by my grandfather. The feral roosters gather to sing in the sun sometimes. In the same yard, the cats stalk the chickens. At night once, my father took me to see his old ship. Who said the ocean sounds like the clang of a bell? How did the seafloor not rise up? Have I not mentioned my grandmother? In the morning, the tilting of the tilting schools of fishes, the rococo coral, and the sea salt, sea salt colored everything. Pitch black when you open your eyes, so you think you are still sleeping. Sea turtles in confinement, they were bound for soup, coconut bread, buttery fish sauce, and crab meat slipping out of cracked legs. Our bodies should burst into rain. The sky today is a kingdom of cumulus clouds. What are the places we go to when we think of the end? That was Yadira Peralta reading her poem, Roatan. Talk to me about where these images come from. Are these from the stories of your father? Is this, have you, and whether, do you have any interest in, or is it going to Honduras? Like, tell me about the, the origin of that. So... Um, not that I remember this far back, but I did spend my first birthday in Rotan and, uh, you know, once or twice a year. So, uh, to contextualize, I, I was born in the capital city. Um, and so it was a big deal (laughs) to, Mm -hmm. to fly out up to the Caribbean and, uh, at least once or twice a year, I would go up to spend time with my grandparents and even sometimes by myself, uh, I would get sent by myself to to go spend Christmas with them or something like that. Wow. So I do have memories from as far back as 18 months, uh, three years old. Granted, you know, the older one gets, they become fuzzier and fuzzier. But uh, some of these are, it's, a, it's an amalgamation of actual memories 
uh, from childhood and then going back and spending time, uh, you know, as almost like a, sadly as a tourist, going back to Ratan and experiencing uh, what it's like today. Right. I think there's there's something that anybody who's bicultural uh, that is, fr- you know, whose family is from a different place, but you grew up here, but you grew up with those stories uh, can can see in your poetry that that kind of mixing of of truth and fiction right yes absolutely talk to me about how you're like when you're when you're telling these stories you're creating these poems um how that how that has changed for you over the years like as you as you go from you know um creating these stories that were handed down to you till then you start kind of incorporating them into yourself how does how has your poetry changed That is a really great question. I, I think my process is similar. Hmm. You know, I I sit down. Sometimes it's a question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to think that if, if I were in a, had been born in another, another lifetime, maybe I would have been a historian or, or an archaeologist or something or an anthropologist. So it starts with a question, and then I try to answer the question with the poem. And it's kind of like whatever comes up in terms of what my imagination is bringing up. Sometimes they are associative things, things that don't have to do with the actual thing. Um, and sometimes I, I pop in and try to do a little bit of research. Uh, that's the one thing that I've tried to pull back from a lot because while research and what is <laughs> factual stuff is really interesting to drop in a poem, I can get totally lost in that. So I kind of try to just trust my own imagination as, as, and my knowledge of words and my love of words and the way sentences are formed a bit more. Before we go, I wanted to ask you, you know, you were, you were awarded this, uh, this award, um, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Poetry Award, and it's so much about, about um, preservation. So kind of what are you looking forward to writing next? Like what, is, what are the things that are interesting to you now? You know, I live in Little Haiti, and so I've, I've been living there for, I think it's about four years now, and even in the short span of time that I've lived there, I've, I've been seeing the changes. Hmm. Um, and so that's something that I'm trying to figure out how to document or write about or, um, or process through, through writing, and I'm glad I've been there long enough to realize, like, I'm, it, I'm not... I'm not an original, <laughs> you know, little Haiti um, resident. I'm one of I'm one of the waves of new people that have come in. So that's that's one thing that I'm trying to be aware of. Uh, another one is that as uh, emotional as I get about, uh, you know, what will become of little Haiti, what will become of Miami with all the changes, all the n- new people coming in, and and uh, you know, we can talk about things like rent <laughs> and all of that. Then I again. Uh, I'm trying to also step back and be objective about it. And also, um, while I don't love the changes, change is just, um, it's just a fact of life, too. Yadira, thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us, reading us your poetry and telling us about your work. Thank you. Our guest today was Yadira Peralta. She's a poet and educator in Miami and the current recipient of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Award. And that's Sundown for Monday, August 21st. Welcome back to our lead producer, Leslie O'Reilly Atkinson. We missed you. We say goodbye to Helen Acevedo, who helped us produce the show the last three months. You're forever our buddy. 
Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. And Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Richard Ives is our engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, bringing Miami together through the instruction and exhibition of art. Marie Vickles is the curator in residence at the Little Haiti Cultural Complex. Marie joins us. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.